Maloni, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Kotoku Ingwa Kokoroi Hawkins. Coming up... By the time the fight uh, actually stopped or finished, there was confirmed 30 deaths. More details emerging about the horrific violence in Papua New Guinea's remote Trobrian Islands. Also... It became clear to us there's quite a lot within the international community who aren't aware of this calls for more awareness within the international community about the legacy of Pacific nuclear weapons testing. And later on... First of all, congratulations to all women in Vanuatu for crossing the line and for being able to find a place. We talk story to the only woman to be elected to Vanuatu's 52-member parliament in this month's snap election. More details are emerging about the horrific violence on Kiriwina Island in the remote Trobriand archipelago of Papua New Guinea on Monday. 30 people are reported to have died while others are injured. MP of Kiriwina Good Enough Electorate, Douglas Tomoriesa, told MTV the violence isn't a tribal conflict but a fight between two villages. Lydia Lewis has the latest. Douglas Tomuriesa says he tried to sort out the issues by conducting a traditional peace ceremony, but was unsuccessful. He confirmed the dozens of deaths resulting from the fighting. Evening, there were 22. Uh, there, were, there was uh, 22 around 2 p.m. Uh, yesterday afternoon. But by the time the fight uh, actually stopped or finished, there was confirmed 30 deaths. PNG correspondent Scott Wyday says he has received a report that a 13-year-old boy is among the dead and several women are injured following the massacre. Last night they sent pictures of women and children on canoes on the coast uh, hiding amongst mangroves trying to get away from the fighting. So the local MP said that this was highly unusual, the number of deaths and they've never seen 30 people killed in one class. Local leaders say tensions arose between two groups last month following two deaths at a soccer match. Several others were injured. There are many layers to the rivalry, including political division. However, Scott Wyday says there are conflicting reports on whether or not the massacre is politically motivated. Those who were involved in the elections, I mean, the Kiwina Good Enough MP has tried to steer clear from the election-related, attaching this violence to elections. So he says that this is not politically related. Everybody else that I've spoken to has said that this is election-related. So there's the two arguments in this whole thing. Kiriwina Island area manager Nelson Tauyuwada says in the lead-up to the killings, crops were damaged, threatening livelihoods. And then on Monday, October the 24th, blood was shed. Shot covers, stones, wooden, metal, bush knife, grass knife, anything that they could uh, injure. Mr. Tauyuwada says it's out of hand with deaths reported from both communities. Total death is increasing, but the fight stopped as soon as they realized that it was getting late and they attend to sort themselves out and bury those dead bodies. Kabuako United Church Committee member David Mudagada has been trying to de-escalate the situation as fears of retaliation surface. Mr Waide says Mr Tomoriesa has requested for the police presence to be bolstered. There's police presence on the ground. We understand that there will be additional manpower going to the island. And it's a remote place. You can only get there by plane and by boat. And the population is 
quite isolated to a large extent. So it's, it's a, quite a difficult district to get to. As of Tuesday, Mr Muragada says police from the mainland were nowhere to be seen. We're not sure when they're, they're going to arrive. There are a couple of police officers there, but uh, they were outnumbered. A PNG police spokesperson says he will update the media as soon as more details come to hand. In an update, a contingent of 10 Papua New Guinea police from the national headquarters in Port Moresby have arrived on Kiriwina Island in the remote Trobriand archipelago following a deadly clash on the island last Monday. A police spokesperson says the initial death toll has been revised down to 22. Police on the ground say many more have sustained serious injuries, though, in the clashes. For the latest on this developing story, please head on over to our website, rnzi.com. Still in Papua New Guinea, there are increasing concerns for a policeman who went missing along with his vehicle five days ago. The man, a member of the elite mobile squad, is reported to have left his gun in his motel room in Tari in Hela province and had gone to wash his vehicle but has not been seen since. Today, families of police officers staged a protest in Port Moresby using the disappearance as an example of the stresses police in Papua New Guinea face. PNG Chief of Police Operations Assistant Commissioner Donald Yamasombi today met with the families who set up a barricade at Red Hills Police Barracks in Port Moresby in protest over the missing policeman. Mr Yamasombi explained the circumstances surrounding the man's disappearance and the family was to present his office with a petition expected to highlight the hardships faced by policemen and women who operate in conflict areas. Mr Yamasombi has also sent the director of the Special Services Division to Tari as part of the investigation efforts. Don Wiseman asked our PNG correspondent Scott Waide what police have been able to learn so far. At the moment, no firm lead. I was speaking to members of the mobile squad yesterday just trying to get a feel of what's happening on the ground. And usually in cases like this where there's a member of the police involved or a, a, a person who has disappeared or gone missing, there's usually leads. But for this one, nothing at the moment. There's rumours spreading within the communities that his, the vehicle has been sighted outside of Tari Town where he went missing, but police haven't been able to confirm. And it's very unusual for a, a member of the constabulary to go missing because they're very visible. But for this one, he reportedly left his weapon in his motel room and went to wash the vehicle. That's what he told his, his, his party. And he also called his family on Thursday when he left the hotel. Um, so there's been no lead. The police commissioner released a statement saying this is officially a missing persons case now and police will be officially looking into the matter. To what extent? How much effort will they put into it? It's a member of the constabulary. So there's, there's a, a large number of police on the ground searching areas outside of Pari. From yesterday's discussion with uh, a member of the constabulary, there was a team that had travelled out of Pari to Magarima, which is a small station outside of Pari. And they were trying to confirm reports that the policeman and his vehicle had been sighted, but they haven't reported back yet. Kidnappings are not uncommon in Papua New Guinea. Is there any chance that this is what's happened here? 
for a member of the constabulary, it's very unusual for a member of the constabulary to be to be kidnapped like that. And again, the kidnapping is it remains an allegation at this point because they haven't been able to establish it. He's left on his own accord or he's been taken. But looking at what Commissioner Manning has pointed out, they're not ruling that out as well. The Marshall Islands Deputy Permanent Representative to the United Nations says there needs to be more awareness within the international community about the legacy of Pacific nuclear weapons testing by the United States, Britain and France. Earlier this month, the Marshalls submitted a resolution to the United Nations Human Rights Council aimed at assisting the islands to get justice for the testing by the United States. It was successfully adopted during the 51st session of the Council. Samuel Lanwi Jr. joins me from Geneva. Welcome on Pacific Waves. First of all, tell us a little bit more about what's in this resolution. Technical assistance and capacity building um, to address the nuclear legacy in the Marshall Islands. And this is the first time, to our knowledge, that that uh, the council was uh, presented with such an issue, uh, obviously specific to the Marshall Islands and, and our nuclear legacy, but uh, in the context of the Pacific region, you know, it's become a priority for the our leaders as well. It's been a standing agenda item since the mid '90s, if I understand correctly. But to bring it to the international uh, context, right, in the United Nations, uh, specifically the Human Rights Council, and addressing the human rights implications of that legacy, it was significant and and. It became clear to us, you know, from the get-go that, you know, there's quite a lot within the international community who are not aware of this. Um, and while we had, you know, been determined to bring it to the attention of uh, the, the international community here in Geneva, and we were able to get it adopted uh, without a vote, which again is quite significant. Uh, so that that means it was adopted unanimously, does it? Um, yeah, with by consensus, with some disassociation by the United States, um, and we had that that was expected. Uh, we had expected that they wouldn't really um, be in a position to support what what's in that resolution, and a lot of that is you know relegated to to the bilateral uh, relationship we have with them, dating back. To 1986, uh, we have a compact of free association with the United mm. States. Uh, talk us through what, what what was in the resolution. So, in the resolution, we were we're asking or requesting the Office of the High Commissioner of Human Rights to provide uh, technical assistance and capacity building to the National Nuclear Commission back home in the Marshall Islands. This is a commission uh, that was established uh, some five years ago to sort of handle the nuclear legacy issue. You know, around the issue of nuclear justice, uh, this has been ongoing for for so long, for for however long it has it has dragged on, and so yeah, this we're asking that assistance to be provided to that commission at the national level to to you know boost their capacity and and you know I guess make it more spread awareness on the issue because like I said, there's still quite a number of UN member states, I would say, and, you know, states in general that, that are not aware of what happened in the Marshall Islands with, with the nuclear 
testing in the 50s and 60s. What is the effect of this now being adopted? So now um, we will be engaging directly with the Office of the Human Rights, uh, I Commissioner on, for Human Rights to implement this resolution. And so there's a time frame uh, in, that, in the resolution in the next uh, couple of years between now and 2024. A uh, number of things are expected to take place pursuant to the what what we've requested in the resolution, and one of the one of that in, uh, includes the the convening of a enhanced interactive dialogue, members of the nuclear uh, national nuclear commission and other relevant uh, bodies are all concerned will be invited to come and sort of present uh, reports or you know make testimonies before the council in 2024. Um, ahead of that, we, we also anticipate a setting up of a, a sub-regional, if you will, decision at one of the UN offices in the region. So there's the regional office in Suva, OACHR, uh, but, but more specifically, there's also the uh, Micronesian office up in the Federated States of Micronesia where there's a um, resident coordinator based there. And so the idea is that there would be somebody focusing on the issue, like looking after this issue directly, um, because right now there's nobody um, and they would need that capacity there in order to uh, carry out uh, the, the implementation of the resolution in the Marshall Islands and of course, engaging with other mm. bodies in the region, namely the forum organization and, and others concerned. I just want to circle back to a comment you made and now just sort of turning to yourself personally uh, as as a Marshall Island citizen, uh, as a, as a Marshall, Marshallese person uh, doing this work, how difficult is it trying to fight for this, having to go through all of these steps and processes to try and make this something that the U.S. and other actors of nuclear testing in the Pacific will acknowledge and, and address and and resolve the issues with us in the Pacific? Um, yeah, so the, the word I've been telling, I guess the word I've been using to describe all of that, the level of difficulty and, and the, I don't want to say the pressure, but, but the, the heaviness of it. it, 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 it very heavy, if, if I may use that, and that's exactly uh, how I've been describing it to, to others. Uh, it was not easy, obviously, and it is just very heavy uh, because this is a very um, emotional issue, I would say, for the Marshallese people. And so as a Marshallese, I'm, I'm obviously very connected to it, uh, even though I may not be, you know, directly impacted it, it it is my people that you know we're doing this for at the end of the day that's what it comes down to right like, like the people and and their needs and this is something that has been a long time coming and to have it be you know recognized by the human rights council essentially the international community even though it's here in geneva and not in new york it still resonates widely in my view and so yeah it's been it's been very tough, um, very heavy to, to having to have dealt with that directly. 
The United States conducted 67 nuclear tests from 1946 to 1958 in the Marshall Islands, and while a settlement with the U.S. was reached in 1986, it fell short of addressing the extensive environmental and health damages that resulted from the tests. The only woman elected to Vanuatu's 52-member parliament is dedicating her win to all women in Vanuatu. Gloria Juliet Kings contested the election under the Union of Moderate Parties on Efate Island. She's the first woman to be elected to the country's parliament since Eta Rori in 2008, who coincidentally was also the only woman MP in the House at that time. RNZ Pacific's correspondent in Port Vila, Ilea Bule, caught up with the newly elected Gloria Julia Kings and spoke to her about her win. First of all, congratulations to all women in Vanuatu for crossing the line and for being able to find a place in the Vanuatu Parliament for the 13th legislature. It should be a celebration for all women to uh, embrace this journey, take ownership of the fact that we have now crossed the line we've got in here. To say it was unexpected is to say that we left our options in the air. And for those of you who know me and my husband and what we do and how we do things, no, we came into this very open-eyed knowing that we needed to cross the line and we did it not for ourselves but for the people of Vanuatu and more for the women of Vanuatu. So much I've uh, been said about uh, gender, what will be your priority when uh, during your four year terms in parliament? So at the moment um, being the one voice that is representing the women of Vanuatu is being able to hear what their concerns are, their issues, and to be able to table them on uh, the table at the parliament. Obviously, there will be a list of priorities and there will be a lot of issues and challenges being put forward, but it's about us defining what we want to get done, what the priorities are, and how we go on about getting things done. Uh, people know you about uh, your involvement in sport. What uh, <coughs> make you interested in the politics? Sports was a platform, uh, was another, was a separate pla- a platform that helped me preach the same message. So again, being in the women in business space, the women in sports space, um, uh, a lot of the challenges and issues that we were encountering had to be dealt with in-house, but obviously there was a lot of um, challenges that needed national attention, and that's the reason why we've escalated our platform to the women in politics to be able to um, make our, our women's voices heard. So it's same message, just a different platform on a more high level. Mm. Uh, you make a easy win in the constituency that is uh, uh, has one of the highest number of registered voters. What was the main challenge? Coming from a very traditional background, I think the main challenge was getting everyone to accept that there was a time that men stood up in politics and that that time has changed. So for this for this season, for this time, for what needs to be done, 
I am very honored that this baton has been passed on to me, but I, I say this with so much pride and so much humility that I am standing on the shoulders of my chief and the Fare and the community of Mele Village and the voters around Efate who trust that I would be able to perform. And um, in order for that to happen was getting them to, to own this process, to take pride that yes, we can actually raise one woman from Efate to represent our voice in the parliament. About uh, six women contested uh, the last snap election and you win, you one of them. What is, what is your main message? Coming into this space, there's not a lot of women who've, who've ventured out to um, try politics and um, being on this journey now, I can understand why. It's, it's a very dominant um, male environment. A lot of the decision making and discussions are done amongst the men and it's easy to uh, not want to be part of it as a stigma. It's easy to let go because you've got other things to do. Um, the sitting around and the waiting, the constant negotiating, the discussions. Um, but when the foundation is sure and your goals and visions are in line, then you, it cannot be about you. It cannot be about the individual. It, it's got to be about the community. It's got to be about the, the country. It's got to be about everybody else that got you here. So for my colleagues who embarked on this journey, I salute you for making an attempt. And I know it wasn't easy. It was very challenging. But I endeavor that you do not give up and um, continue to rally around um, ourselves, our women, continue to support each other by lifting each other up. But most importantly, it's, it's getting the little things done. So get, get what needs to be done at, the, uh, at your family level, to the community, and then to the churches, and then as it escalates on, that's when you gather influence. But otherwise, um, thank you for being part of that journey. It's, it's good, it's reassuring to know that women are brave enough to step up and take, take course of their own lives in this space, in women in politics. That's Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Pakafitai tofani.